Well, once upon a time, a father and a son came up upon a traffic jam. A semi-truck had gotten stuck under an overpass. The police were there, fire trucks, a crane had been brought in to get this semi-truck unwedged. And people were fighting, these emergency workers, of what to do. What is the solution to get this truck out? Well, as the father was fuming in the car about being stuck in this jam because of this truck, he failed to notice his young boy had gotten out of the car and had gone to the emergency workers. And they, and he had been going to them and saying, I have a solution. I have an idea how to solve this problem. And they were shooing him away. His dad, who finally noticed that his son had been out of the car, ran up to him, exasperated that his son was out, said, what are you doing? And his son said, Dad, I have an answer. I have a solution. Finally, all this commotion, one of the emergency workers came over and said, okay, young boy, what, what is your solution to this problem? And the young boy said, why don't you just take the air out of the tires of the truck? And that's what they did. And the truck was able to get unwedged from the, under the bridge and to go away. This morning in Corinth, we too are going to be in the middle of a traffic jam. And people throughout Corinth are fighting over what the solution should be. And we are going to see there's going to come a solution from a place that people say that is foolish. Who could have a solution from there? But we're going to see what we might see as foolish is truly wisdom. I want us to identify three things this morning in this passage. And these are the three things that we're going to go through as we look at this passage in Corinthians. Number one, there is a division. Number two, our wisdom divides. Number three, God's foolishness unites. There is a division. Our wisdom divides and God's foolishness unites. Let's look together, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 all the way until the beginning of chapter 2. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. We are going through a letter to a church that is going through a lot of turmoil. You see, there are opposing views in this church about things like sexual ethics. There are contentious views about what is allowable to take, partake in in society and what is not. There is contention about what you can do in a worship service and what you can't do in the worship service. It's amazing 2,000 years later, these are still issues that churches debate about. And you see that Corinth has something to speak to us today about division and trouble in the church. Well, how are they going to solve these issues? Well, you got to remember that this church is made up of people that mostly come from the Roman Empire, Gentiles, non-Jews. And in the Greco-Roman Empire, there were solutions to problems and divisions. And that was wisdom, philosophy. What person could make the best arguments? What person would you follow them and their teaching? You would listen to what they say and their argumentation and follow their way of thinking. That was the way to push through in an argument. Finding your faction, your group, your tribe. Well, that kind of thinking had infiltrated the church. You see, people in the church in Corinth were following different Christian leaders and saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter. And this factionalism that was from outside the culture was coming inside the church culture. It's not that Paul and Peter and Apollos were divided, but these people were making them divided by saying, I follow their teaching. So factionalism was coming inside of the church. See, before getting to the individual issues like sexual ethics and what is allowable, what's in the culture, and what we should do in worship service, before Paul even gets to addressing those issues, he goes to the root of the problem of division. In these first four chapters in the book of Corinthians, and today in our passage, he's going to be centering on wisdom of man, of humanity, Versus the wisdom of God. Well, I'm very thankful that we don't have factionalism today, right? That we didn't just experience a week of factionalism around us, right? And that way of division or that way of getting the ways that you want, they wouldn't infiltrate our thinking in the church, would they? Well, let's find out, shall we, how it might speak to us today and how this idea of division can be brought to unity through this foolish message 
of the cross. And here it is, verse 18. It basically sets out, basically, Paul's argument for the next chapter. Here is his thesis. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, for Roman citizens and Jews that are in the church, where would you go for answers to division? To them, the church's answer, the gospel's answer, would seem ridiculous. What if I told you young people in our church, the teenagers of our church, or maybe if you're an adult, go back to your teenage years. What if I said the solution to the social unrest you find at school, the problems you see on your social media page or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it might be, the solutions to your angst and your problems in school between social dynamics, guess where the answer is? Your parents. What would you say to that? That's crazy. My parents don't know Snapchat. They don't understand the dynamics of Instagram. They don't get it. It's amazing how we probably said the same things to our parents about certain social dynamics when we were younger. Now, take that line of thinking. Let's say it's foolish to go to my parents, which I think is probably the best answer. Right? I'm supposed to say that, right, as a parent, right? L.A. Morgan, the best answer is coming to me. Okay, that's right, right? But take that thinking in your mind that it's foolish to go to my parents over those kind of issues and then just kind of exponentially make it worse to the idea of the cross. You see, for us, the cross is just something that is in our vernacular and part of our culture so much we don't realize the absurdity or the craziness of the cross. It's on people's shirts. It's on buildings. It's diamond-encrusted around J-Lo's <laughs> neck, you know? It's everywhere. And we don't realize that we're immune to the shock value of the cross. See, the cross for these Romans and for these Jews was a picture of criminals, of punishment, of being a nobody, of being a pariah in society. It was the worst shame you could experience in the Roman Empire to be crucified upon the cross. For Romans who valued fame and prestige and being honored, the message of Jesus was folly. It was weakness. I just find Paul's line of reasoning here kind of perplexing. If Paul is trying to deal with the idea of division in the church, why now bring up this divisive issue of the cross? This criminal crucified by the Roman Empire. Why bring that up now if you're trying to bring unity and that's what you're trying to do in this passage? I'm perplexed by that first. And then he doubles down on it. What does he say? Those that do not follow the folly of the cross are perishing. Okay? I mean, you can think of that word perishable. Like your bananas that are there for more than a week. 
they're going to die and go bad and you're just going to throw them out. He's calling people that do not follow the cross those kind of things. They are going to be perishable, thrown out. He continues to divide. And then he just does a double down. He does it three times by giving us a passage from the book of Isaiah. Look at me, verse 19. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now he is saying, guess what? This didn't just happen now, this wisdom. It was from the beginning of humanity. That people that think that they know God, they acknowledge God with their lips, political leaders that maybe show all these things of following God, but their hearts are far from him. You see that Paul is making division over division over division. He should be uniting now, right? That's what he's trying to do in the church. He shouldn't be throwing people under the bus. Why does Paul emphasize the divisions when he's trying to bring unity in the church? Please hear me. Before we can deal with the divisions that happen in this world, in humanity, we first have to deal with the division between us and God. Before we can heal any of this in the church, any of this in society, any of these things in the world, first we have to deal with the greater division that many times we ignore, the division between us and God. You see, the early church, if they were smart, they would have just swept the message of the cross under the rug. This is not the way to win the Romans to Jesus. But you see that Paul does not do that. The early church fathers do not do that. They said the cross represents God's wisdom in the world. This is his plan. Okay, again, let's, let's just think about it. The cross is God's message of wisdom to us. Not just figuratively, but literally. Because wisdom came down to earth in a person of Jesus. He is wisdom. What did we do to the wisdom of God? We killed it. We destroyed it. We said, no, this is not true wisdom. Love, sacrifice, care for others. It wasn't just the Romans that put him there. It was actually his followers that put him there too. His disciples even abandoned him. Everyone, all of humanity, this is what we do to the wisdom of God. See, the cross was the power to save. God was saying, my plan, my love is greater than any concept of human love, any human concept of wisdom, or any human concept of fixing the problem. God's power, my power, God says, is to transform, not through armies, but through giving my life 
for you. What is the wisdom of our age? Who are the philosophers of our day? Well, anybody can be a philosopher nowadays, right? Because you can form your own blog or your own podcast, right? Is that what you do? If you want to be a philosopher of the age, just make a podcast, right? So Aaron Rodgers, right? Now he's on a podcast with his, his girlfriend, Danica Patrick. And uh, I'll call Aaron Rodgers the philosopher of our day. How's that sound? Some of you might not agree with me, but I'm going to call him the philosopher age because guess what? A lot of people listen to him, especially in Wisconsin. I feel like if Aaron Rodgers ran for governor, he'd probably win. So here he is with Danica Patrick, and we get an inside look because he's broadcasting it to all of us about what he believes, his faith. I encourage you, you can look at it. You can just look up Aaron Rodgers' faith on YouTube, and it's about a five-minute clip about what his view of religion is. Aaron grew up in a Christian home, but he um, identifies himself not as a Christian. And he talks about his problem with religion. His philosophy comes, if you don't know, it comes from Eastern thought. You can tell he's been influenced by Buddhist teaching, which he admits. And his problem with religion is it's binary. It just causes division. Okay? That it becomes those that are in, those that are out. Those that are going to hell, those that are not going to hell. It becomes this division. And that's the problem. How can you be for Christianity when it has this division? I want to give Aaron Rodgers some charity. He is right. Religion can cause arrogance, self-righteousness. It can cause an attitude that I am better than someone else. But I will argue that is not what is Christianity. I'm going to make that argument a bit later in the sermon. But I just want to first identify what Aaron is talking about. Aaron Rodgers is giving a subtle dig at Christianity in his comments. But in his subtle dig to Christianity, he's creating his own binary system. My way is right, and yours is wrong. I have transcended thinking, and I've transcended by binary thinking. But in his very sense of trying to transcend who's in, who's out, binary thinking, he has created his own binary thought. You see, for many, this is the wisdom of our day. It's probably the overriding thinking in American culture now. Pluralism, tolerance. And we say, you know what, if someone disagrees with us, even in this pluralistic tolerance kind of thinking, we are going to shut them down. We have no tolerance for those that are intolerant. And in that sense, they are being intolerant. I have find it fascinating, especially among my friends that are liberal, my friends that are non-Christians, that there is, seems to be a greater anger and division in them. I have a good friend whose son is Buddhist, who actually lives in a Buddhist temple in California. His son, which is very sad to him, hasn't talked to his dad in three years. His dad's a Christian. 
And his son says, Dad, I will no longer talk to you because who you voted for in the last election. And they haven't talked in three years. It's interesting. As much as people say, oh, we don't want to divide. There's not a binary system. You Christians make it us versus them. There is this division even when people say there is, there shouldn't be no binary system. And I think this is the argument that Paul is making. This whole division that is happening in the church, do you know where its root cause is? It's not just between us. It's between us and God. It's between our relationship with the one that created us. We have a problem inside of us. But to the world today, a world of self-expressionism, that only finds glory in ourselves and what we create, that is foolish. It is foolish to say there is animosity, there is sin, there is a breakdown between the creator and us. That there's actually inside some of us, in all of us, something that is wrong. We are all sick. We are all dead in our transgressions. But that kind of thinking is foolish. In fact, to many, it's blasphemous. Paul goes on, verses 20 through 25, he compares and contrasts two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and says that both of these groups have been tripped up by the message of the cross. You see, Jews look for signs, miracles, and said, you know, Jesus, you just do these things, we will believe. You can imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, you know, you're on a roll. Just keep up with this miracle thing, and then we will have the Roman Empire. People will follow us. And you see Jesus' response to his disciples, saying, you know what? I believe, or I know, that even if someone rises from the dead, you will still not believe. Justin Martyr in the second century, the early second century, was talking to a rabbi, and this is what the rabbi said about Christ. Your so-called Christ is without honor and glory. So he has, he has even fallen into the uttermost curse that is in the law of God. For he was crucified. He insults God with his weakness. You see, for the Jews, they wanted a sign of a Messiah that was different than the plan of God, which is smarter than any of our wisdom. And even when we saw the plan of God, we did not believe. For Gentiles, they relied on wisdom. I don't think it's specifically talking about bashing intellect or blasting the rational mind. I think it's an attitude that's characterized by hubris, self-exaltation, victory, utility of the Roman Empire to be able to expand through the world. That that was true wisdom. And for them, the cross was foolish because the cross was sacrifice, suffering, service. 
See, both to the Jew and to the Gentile, and basically Paul is saying to all of culture, we have our conception or our cultural ways of the way it should be to solve the problems of this world. And because of our own conceptions or because of our cultural conceptions of how to solve the problem of humanity, it's caused divisions among cultures. And that is the wisdom of God, the greatness of the message of the cross, that God's way is not what we thought or what we wanted. We wanted exaltation. We wanted it our way. We wanted it through our culture. But God came not through a message of exaltation, not a message of one culture. He came to give his life for others. See, God's wisdom broke down the walls of the divisions between cultures in the Roman Empire that in the church in Corinth and the churches throughout the Roman Empire that you had both Jew and Gentile who were at war with each other that now worshiped together under the cross. That is the wisdom of God. To break down divisions to break down hubris, to break down cultures and say, guess what? You can unite together under the cross. I'm so glad that we do not have images of wisdom in our culture today that just seek our own advantage. We don't have images of using power to leverage our views over others. And those actions haven't caused division in our hearts, especially this week, right? As you can tell, I'm being sarcastic. I think I've seen images this week that have been more offensive than I've ever seen in American culture since I've been alive. And I'm sure that some of us, I know that some of us here have been pretty angry about the images we've seen this week. What are some of the images we've seen this week? Some of us are very angry in this congregation because the Speaker of the House, during the State of the Union address, took the President's speech and ripped it up right behind him, during the State of the Union. Some of us are equally angry on the other side for the president holding up a paper that said acquitted. And some of us are angry that the president would use the State of the Union to exalt a person like Rush Limbaugh. It's amazing that there's people in our own congregation that are equally incensed about opposite things. And you worship together today and sang songs and passed the peace to each other. And some of us are upset that people are so upset. Right? The third category, we transcended it all. I don't fall into those categories, but you're upset that people are upset. 
I just, I, this picture is just, is just going to burn in my mind now. The images that we all saw were the ripping, the president holding the acquitted paper over his head. Those are the images we saw. But guess what image we did not see, or maybe some of you did, but I doubt many of America saw. Do you know what happened the day after the State of the Union? Do you know what it was? It's the National Day of Prayer. The prayer breakfast. I've been to that when I was in Washington, D.C. and working on the Hill, went to the prayer breakfast, and what happens is you both have Democrats and Republicans together, and there's a talk, and the president usually comes, and the Speaker of the House usually comes. So the day after, the president and the Speaker did not even shake hands. They are sitting together at the National Prayer Breakfast, just about 20 feet apart. And what image did we not see? That there was a man that gave a message between the Speaker of the House and the President of the United States at the National Prayer Breakfast. And do you know what his message was? It was the message of the cross that say we should love our enemies. As he, so, he stood between the speaker and the president. And this is one thing he said. How do we break the habit of contempt in our nation? And he said, this is one practical way. Ask God to give you the strength to do the hard things. <laughs> to go against human nature, to follow Jesus and love your enemies. Ask God to remove political contempt from your heart. And in your weakest moments, maybe even ask him to help you fake it. How many of you guys saw that image this week? How many of you heard that message? No, that's not the image that was given to us this week. Why? Because that message is foolishness to a perishing world. But it's the wisdom of God. Let me push it even harder, shall I? How many of us in our hearts still say, you don't realize the evil of Donald Trump. You don't know how wicked he is. Dan, you don't realize the liberals and what they're going to do to ruin our country. You have no concept of what um, she can do, what Bernie will do. You have no idea. To you that say that in your heart, to me, that says that in my heart. Verse 25 should just penetrate us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Church, this is our time. This is our time in a divided nation to give a power that is greater than any politics can give, than any president can give. We give the power of the cross, that in weakness there is strength, 
In humility, there is power. In loving our enemy, there is forgiveness. For those, my brothers and sisters in the church, that are worried or anxious or fearful, I say, what a great time for us. This is our age. This is our time. Well, first we see a division between us and God. Second, we see the wisdom of the world is not solving the problem. So what is the solution? Paul gives us a solution. Verses 26 through 31. You see, for these people, the division was happening because they were prideful. They had formed their own groups, their own little cliques in the church. And they were saying, guess what? Our view is clever. Our view is right because of our thinking. Our view is right because we're the most influential. We have the higher status. That is what makes our views right. See, Paul is talking to people that many in these church were freedmen. They see in Corinth, basically in the Roman Empire, many people that were slaves and people that were looking to make advantage um, economically had come to Corinth because it had become a hub for money making and trade. And a lot of these people were now part of the church. They were not the cream of the crop of the Roman Empire, but they were climbing the social ladder. They were making it in society. And they were thinking, okay, my arrival or my being esteemed in culture or me finally making money or me being able to have people underneath me, that is what makes me okay. That's what makes me justified. But Paul is speaking to this people and he's saying to them, consider, think. And what is he having them consider? He's having them consider their calling. He's having them consider, and he says this three times, they've been chosen. They've been chosen not because of their wealth or their money or their esteem or making it a further. No, they have been chosen not because of any of those things. They've been chosen in their weakness, in their folly. And not having noble birth, they've been chosen not because of anything that they have done, but also because they've been chosen by God. This is being picked for the kickball team, even when you're scrawny. Picked first. And you realize, wait, why did I get picked first? It's not because I have the strong arm. It's not because I'm tall. It's not because I can hit the angles right. I know the geometry of, you know, dodgeball, right? I've said kickball, I meant dodgeball, dodgeball. And I don't know if you've ever been picked that way, picked first, even if you have nothing to offer. Sometimes you realize I was picked because the captain loved me. They cared for me. They liked me as a friend. 
That's happened to me. Sometimes playing football, Phil Stuffle picks me earlier. I don't know why he does. Because <laughs> we're friends. And I know Phil loves me. But that is the message of the gospel. We haven't been picked because of anything we've done. Because anything we have. We have been chosen because God loves us. Listen, if you've been in the church or been around this message of Christianity, you, you've probably heard this many, many times. But I do wonder if it has sunk into your heart. This very week, I was talking to one person, talking about their faith, and they said, I believe I'm a Christian because I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to follow what he teaches. Hear me, please. If that is what you think Christianity is, you do not understand the gospel. See, behind that message is saying, there is something I am bringing to the table. There is something that I can do to bring me to the Lord. Why in the midst of division... Would Paul now bring up issues like choosing and calling an election in the midst of a division? Why bring up that issue? Here I'm going to borrow on Tim Keller. He's very good on this subject, so I'm going to use some of his words. If any of us in the church are looking at another group or a person or whoever, and you're saying to yourself, that person is hopeless. They will never turn around. There is no hope for them. If any of that thinking is in your mind, you don't believe that you are a miracle. You don't believe that you were hopeless. You were nothing. You were weak. You had nothing to offer, but God still chose you and loved you. So we should be able to look at ourselves and we should just kind of laugh at ourselves, shouldn't we? What, me? A Christian? No way. I'm not standing on my own dignity, but I'm standing on Christ. I mean, I just... I sometimes laugh at myself. You know, Colin's just wearing, Colin works with me, you know, at the Y. And I'm a pastor, right? And I go around, do these pastor things. I'm a really nice guy, right? Hang out with kids, you know. I, I just I want to teach them things. I'm using my time to do that, right? I'm sure Colin thinks, man, Dan is a really good guy. And he said that to me. Dan, you're a really good guy. And I just laugh. I am, I am messed up. And I laugh. God chose me. He loved me. It is not because of me, it's because of him. You know what that should do to us? This is why this message is in... 
He's trying to bring unity here. It causes us not to look down on other people. People that might be different than us in political position, in views. We might disagree with them, but we never say, I'm in a better position because anything that came from me. It only became of Christ. I can learn from you. You might actually be a better person than I am. But that's what, not, what makes me a Christian. What makes me a Christian is what he has done. My righteousness, my sanctification, my redemption, right there in verse 30. So then when I look at others, I do not say I am better. I say I am weak. And I'm only in the way I am because of what Jesus has done for me. Do you know what the most telling thing of Aaron Rodgers' interview with Danica Patrick was? It wasn't all his ideas on binary thought and religion and all those things. The most telling thing was one sentence. I found what I wanted to believe in. I found what I wanted to believe in. Those are the most telling words, aren't they? Talk about binary thought. There it is. I found it. I searched all the options. I know that wouldn't be the right. That's not the gospel, folks. It's not that we chose God. It's that he chose us. It is his work in us, not ours. You know, some of us, part of the division that we're having in the church, because we think somehow we are better than others. Somehow I got this Christian thing down. And we're failing to admit that we too are weak. And it's only because of him. And we look down at others because we think it came from ourselves. You know, another thing that's dividing us sometimes as a church is some of us feel ashamed or weak. And we think we do not measure up with other people in the church. This message should make you realize that you are known not because of what you have done, but because Christ has done in you. That he actually chooses weak people. That is his wisdom. And that you have things to offer all of us. Because we're all on the same plane. We are all weak in need of a Savior. That should bring us together, shouldn't it? That is what the root of our sin is and our division is. And knowing that he loved us, that he chose us, should cause us to love one another in a great way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way that um, it can unite us, the ways that can help us be a light into this world of 
um, different groups and tribes and factions and cliques. And God, help us to be a church that's united and loves each other well. In your son's name we pray. Amen.